Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Today's reading is going to be out of Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. And this can be found in the, Bu- uh, the Blue Pew Bibles on page 847. And Mark is in the second book in the New Testament. Give ear, for this is the very word of God. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray now. Lord, you are uh, the only one that can bring your word to our hearts and Lord, to apply it to our lives so that we walk differently. Uh, You're the only one that can enable us truly to hear, uh, not only to pay attention and concentrate, but Lord, to digest and live out this word anew. Lord, use it. Uh, May Christ himself uh, come to us through his spirit and apply this word that he has given. Lord, we rest in you. In his name we pray. Amen. This is a pretty famous uh, section of the Word of God, the cleansing of the temple as it's called. Uh, And this is the historic uh, reference to Christ cleansing the temple. Actually, we're going to see that it wasn't actually a cleansing of the temple, but an announcement of judgment uh, against the temple. Uh, But this court that is spoken of here, the court of the Gentiles, where all of this trade was going on. This is quite a large area. We mentioned this in Sunday school, but they say the measurements are something like 500 yards by 350 yards. If you can think of five football fields and three and a half, uh, 325, almost uh, three and a half football fields, uh, they say it covered something like 35 acres. Now, our property is six acres, if that gives you some idea of the size of this. Uh, It is said in in, uh, 66 uh, A.D., the year before Jerusalem was destroyed or attacked by the Romans, that uh, Josephus says that there were some 250,000 animals sacrificed. They say that 1,000 priests 
working could barely keep up with the sacrifice. And you can imagine then not only the buying and selling that was on the Mount uh, of Olives, but there was also recently had opened up this huge uh, area in the court uh, that some call a virtual stock market of animal dealers and money changers. Meeting people travel from a long way and they had to have animals that they were sure would be clean when they made their offering. They had to pay the temple tax, but it had to be in a legitimate currency. And so the Tyrian shekel, you know, from Tyre, the Tyrian shekel was what was used uh, for this this payment. And so uh, these kinds of things were necessary, but they had been, there were legitimate markets outside of Jerusalem for everybody. But now the very court of the Gentiles was completely taken over with this virtual stock market. And it was a profitable one. And it was one that apparently the Sanhedrin wanted to keep going because they were angry at Jesus for disrupting it on this day. But I want to uh, remind you that there is a wall called the Soric, which uh, had warnings posted on it as you went from the Gentile area into the women's area and then on into the men's area. This wall had posted on it in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic at intervals. No foreigner may enter within the railing and enclosure that surround the temple. Anyone apprehended shall have himself to blame for his consequent death. So, the only area legitimate for uh, anyone who was a foreigner was this area. But it was no longer available. There was no prayer going on. It was converted to a market. And you'll notice as we uh, read in our responsive reading in verse 11, this probably should be taken with what follows and not what came before. He entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, he looked around everything, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so you see this, that it was uh, a, a planned a planned attack, so to speak. Gundry calls it a ferocious exercise of authority and power in this Gentile area. So he planned for prime time and maximum exposure, a demonstration calculated to interrupt business as usual and bring the eminence of God's reign abruptly and forcefully to the attention of all. Remember that Jesus came into the city declaring by his coming in on the donkey that he was the messianic king, unmistakable in his declaration. He is the king. This is his city. And he takes over the temple at this point. He declares judgment against this, the temple. Now, why do I say it's an act of judgment? Well, he declares, first of all, we're going to look at that, that's an act of judgment. Then we're going to look at that it's an act of salvation as well. But it's an act of judgment because notice he says, You have made it. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the contrast is my and you. And the contrast is my house and a den of robbers. And most commentators think that when he says, my house, he's not just saying a quote from Yahweh, but it's my house. 
This is my house. And we know, uh, I remember one uh, fellow was being interviewed uh, in the National Football League, and he had knocked somebody out. Uh, when the guy had gone out on a route, he had just knocked him out. And so the guys were interviewing, you know, thinking that he might be a little apologetic or whatever. You knocked this guy out. And he says, it was in my territory. You know, is this it? That's what the, the defensive back. Well, here's Christ claiming messianic kingship and coming in a way of authority that astonished the crowd that he taught with such authority. Astonished the crowd at how he entered into this area and declared. And how one man could have wreaked such havoc. One man bring at least a portion of that area to a standstill. To the point that the Sanhedrin realized the gauntlet had been thrown down. He's claiming ownership. He's claiming kingship. We've got to get rid of this guy. He is dangerous. They feared him because, it says, because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. This is a man that we have to reckon with, and this is a man we've got to get rid of because he is a man of power. He is a man that we have to deal with. It's an act of judgment, though, when he says that you've made it a den of robbers. This comes from Jeremiah chapter 7. And listen to the context in Jeremiah. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal... And go after other gods that you've known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing these abominations? Has this house called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? You get the picture? Robbers go out and... They steal and they attack people and then they come back to their cave and they're safe there. And Jesus says, you go out and do your abominations and you come back to the temple and say we're delivered. Like this has become a cave of robbers. That's what God says in Jeremiah. And then... In Jeremiah, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do to this house, this temple, what I did to Shiloh. You remember the judgment that fell on Eli and his sons. And God says, the judgment that fell on Eli and his sons because they were sleeping with the women that came to offer, that judgment is coming on this house. And he says, I will cast you out of my sight. That's the context in which this statement is made. You've made it a den of robbers. Jesus is declaring judgment upon the temple in the same way that Jeremiah declared judgment upon the temple. And then the other reason we know that, or I believe in many, that this is an act of judgment is that it's sandwiched between the fig trees, okay? Purposely by Mark, you have the first part, and we've already read that, in which the fig tree is cursed, 12 through 14, and then immediately afterwards, they pass by the next morning, they see the fig tree withered. So it's fig tree cursed and withered. In, that's the sandwich in the middle of the temple that as well is fruitless and is going to be withered at the root. Even as this is uh, stated in Micah and other places of how, here's Hosea, Ephraim is stricken, their root is dried up, they shall bear no fruit. 
And so judgment has come upon them. Uh, you can read this as he entered Jerusalem, went to the temple, verse 11, went out and saw the fig tree, comes to the temple, goes to the fig tree, comes to the temple. It's all woven in together to declare that uh, the unfruitful tree and the curse that is pronounced upon it is simply a parable of his pronouncement and his judgment upon the temple itself, an acted out parable. It's underscored because... Mark puts in there, it was not the season for figs. There was not going to be a fig on there. And Jesus knew it. This wasn't a, oh, I hope I can get a fig. Oh, I'm mad at this fig tree and I'm going to curse it. And people have had trouble with that. Oh, this is so mean of him to hurt this little innocent fig tree. You know, <laughs> truly, that, that's in the literature sometimes. And it just doesn't make sense of why he would do this. And it, uh, Well, obviously, Mark says, it was not the season for figs. That's not what this was about. It was about a parable that he's acting out to demonstrate that the temple is going down. This is not a restoration of the temple. It's a declaration of its dissolution, its destruction. Just a little bit later in chapter 13, verse 2, he says, Not one stone will be left on another in this place. And we know he's teaching that he is raising up a new temple in his own body that He's going to give His body as a ransom for many, that His blood will be the blood of the new covenant, chapter 14. And at the moment of His death, the curtain of this temple is torn in two to indicate that the temple is done with. There is a new access to God. There is a new center of the people of God. And from the roots, this is being taken up and Jesus Christ is planted as the Messiah and all those who belong to Him, Jew or Gentile, now are the people of God. So this temple being used for religious exploitation, this temple in which, in this case, they weren't doing the evil outside the temple. They're doing the evil inside the temple. It was a den of robbers and the robbing was taking place right there. And so this was not a short-term reform, but a symbolic declaration of judgment. Which brings us to the second and last point. Oh, don't you love to hear last point. Um, Act, yeah, depending on how long it is, right, yeah. Uh, it's an act of judgment, but it's, it, it's an act of salvation. Now, the long version, I would say, it's an act of passion for the salvation of the nations. Thus, our title. An act of passion for the salvation of the nations. But short form, so you can remember it. It's an act of judgment, but it's an act of salvation. Passion for the salvation of the nations. You see, the, the, what was the problem with the fig tree? It, it was unfruitful. And here, this temple was supposed to be a place in which the peoples of the earth would be drawn to Yahweh. And look what's happening. The peoples of the earth are being expelled from any hope of getting close to Yahweh. The very opposite purpose of the temple, being the center place of the glory of God, to shine forth and transform God's people and then that light go forth to the earth. And it was their own greed, it was their own love of money and, 
and, and progress that, di- that, didn't mat- that made them not care what was happening to the Gentiles. Which brings us then to the first part of his quote, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Now, the former, uh, the, the latter part of this was taken from Jeremiah chapter 7. This is taken from Isaiah 56. And let me get, give you some excerpts from Isaiah 56 so you get a little bit of the context for what he says here. I will give the foreigner a name better than sons and daughters. The foreigner, he includes eunuch there, but for our purposes, foreigner. I will give them an everlasting name. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to love Him and be His servants, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to Him besides those already gathered. Reminds us of Jesus saying, I have other sheep. Here's God establishing his, his temple. This is a house of prayer for all peoples. I will gather the foreigner. He will love me. He will, he will have a name that will never end. And he will be joyful in my house of prayer. That's underneath what Jesus is saying here. And of course, this is Yahweh come on the scene. Okay? This is the Yahweh of Isaiah 56. Now the God-man on the scene seeing this. And coming, you know, that one day and then coming the next day and exploding with this holy anger and this fierceness that caused everyone to scatter. And it shut down things, at least for a while. But that he wasn't trying to just completely change the temple. He was declaring the temple is judged. But you see, why is it judged? It was unfruitful. It cared no longer in its purpose to make known Yahweh to the world. And that's where we must listen, brothers and sisters. The Messiah was expected in the the Jews' mind, the Messiah was expected to purge Jerusalem and the temple of Gentiles, aliens, and foreigners. And Jesus does the opposite. He doesn't clear the temple of Gentiles. He clears the temple for the Gentiles. And that gets at the root of why He's bringing judgment upon the Jews. The temple was not the sole property of Israel. It was a witness to the nations. And to be called a house of prayer is to be a house of prayer, of course. It is a house of prayer. And what are you doing with it? You've made it a den of robbers. You see in the context several things for us to think about as well uh, concerning his salvation. As As he goes on to talk about the fig tree afterwards, they saw the fig tree withered away, And look at verse 21. Uh, It's still on page 847 if you've got uh, the Pew Bible. Um, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but leaves what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And many people have looked at this and say, well, you know, this is just kind of tacked on, just nailed on like a board because if you suddenly forget everything and you start talking about 
about prayer here. But you see the point? This is the new house of prayer. The new people of God that are praying and they're praying after the manner of Jesus Christ. And of course, in the context of the whole of Scripture, this new house of prayer by Jesus' followers, they're going to have faith in God and they're going to believe Him for things that are just impossible and yet they're going to believe Him and they're going to happen. So Jesus is going to create a house of prayer for the Gentiles. And a glorious one and the whole context of the gospel through his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And we will call on the name of the Lord Jesus. The one who's died for his people will so answer prayer. And so we're to pray with expectancy. And I'm asking you, are you doing so? And in this context, are you praying for the nations to come to Christ. Brothers and sisters, it it just looks impossible, doesn't it, that the Muslim world would be converted. Just impossible. No way. But God has said that my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. And Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does, does not doubt... It will come to pass. It will be done for him. I pray on Tuesday mornings in men's prayer, and I pray in the session meeting on Friday mornings, and I pray sometimes here. I pray for the conversion of hundreds of millions of people in Islam and a billion people in India and a billion people in China and now scattered all over Russia and now scattered all over America and in Fort Worth. They say of 1.5 million, 900,000. Don't attend church. How many more are not believers? He is modeled. You see, Jesus, you might back off and say, well, that's Jesus. I mean, he declares a fig tree to wither and it withers. And kind of like James, when James says, you know, Elijah prayed and it stopped raining and then he prayed again and it started raining and you think, yeah, yeah, that's Elijah. And he says, so you So you pray, believing. And that's what Jesus says here. You would think this would be hands off. Jesus would say, well, yeah, the fig tree I curse. And Jesus, you would think he'd say, well, I know, but I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. You know, that would, that's how I would have written that. You know, you know, I'm Messiah. Of course, I, you know, fig tree. But he doesn't do it. He calls us. And and even we have the idea here that Jesus is speaking to us as the God-man, but here's kind of his humanity shining through saying, I prayed and it was done. You standing in me and with me and by my power, you pray and it will be done. So I ask you, especially in the light of Jesus' authority, where he says, go and make disciples of the nation. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Go! Brothers and sisters, we must pray. We must pray. Astonishment that's mentioned here was the same astonishment in chapter 1, verse 22 at the synagogue, and now it's at the temple. The authority that he has to pronounce judgment on the fig tree is the authority by which he pronounces judgment on the temple and he brings it about. He has all authority. 
So are we believing him? Are we believing him? And I'm going to apply this in a way that uh, I think is legitimate. One of the reasons that they stood in the way of the Gentiles coming to know Yahweh is their desire for money. And I want to throw out to you that I believe the Lord Jesus would have us give and give generously that the gospel go out to this world. And that if we refuse to do that, it will not be a pleasing thing to Christ. We recently heard a financial report, and it was a good one. We are ahead of budget. But we still, as I've, I I haven't looked at the records, but as I understand, maybe half our people, at least, hardly give anything. Would that mean a hundred more thousand, two hundred more thousand? I don't know. But that would be, because our expenses would be the same, that'd be a couple hundred more thousand dollars to plant another church or several new churches or to send another mission. That's what this is about. How is it any different than their desire for money refusing to allow the Gentiles in our so focused on our life, we're not even thinking about people that don't know Christ. I see no difference. Now, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't love a guilty giver. He loves a cheerful giver. One who sees the beauty and the glory of this king who would lay down his life. A king who would lay down his life for us. Gundry writes this about Jesus. We've reached, in his estimation, Mark's main point, the awe-inspiring power of Jesus' teaching, backed up as it is by his strong actions. He strikes fear even in the hearts of the leaders who are trying to destroy him. They're trying to destroy him because they fear him. He will be crucified then, not because of any weakness in him, quite oppositely, because of his power. Furthermore, the power for which he will be crucified is a power that he exerts for the benefit of the nations, Gentiles as well as Jews. He uses his power for the sake of Mark's audience, that is to say, and at a great cost to himself. So for his crucifixion, Jesus deserves honor and worship, not scorn and ridicule. This is the Jesus that when they came to get him in the garden and they said, Who is Jesus? And he says, I am. And they all fall back on their backs. He is a king who submitted himself to save his people at the cost of his own life and bearing the awful judgment of God that we we can't even fathom. This king will forgive you of your sins. This king will take all of your sins away. He will cleanse you immediately. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to change yourself. You will be changed by His mercy. You will be changed by His love. You simply cry out to Him, Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, I have opposed You. Lord, I do not care about Your Word. Lord, my life is not given up to Your will. And you confess and you say, Lord, I trust you to save me and rescue me, not only to forgive me of my sins, but Lord, to transform me so that I'll become a true lover of people, those closest to me and all 
people even far away from me. You see, here's the great final good news here. The, the, the love for which he had, the love that he has for the nations by coming and declaring this judgment is the love he has for you. That's why he offers you the gospel. The same passion, the same anger is the same passion that he had when he went to the cross. It is the same passion by which men and women speak the gospel all over the world. Trying to urge you, believe in this Lord Jesus Christ and believe in no other than him. And be a part of the only movement that is transforming the world by love. Transforming the world because it has come to know the God that made the world through Jesus Christ. And now being used, as, as Jesus himself calls us, the salt and light of the earth. How could it be? How could it be? But this is the king that came into the temple... This is the king that that announced judgment and brought it about. This is the king that has a passion for this world to save sinners and to save you. Let us pray. O Lord, glorious is your name. Glorious, glorious King Jesus is your name. You who took upon our sins, O sacred head now wounded, We deserve the blows, and yet you took them and you bore our punishment in our place that you might bring us to God, that you might cause us to die to sin and now live to righteousness, that you might make us zealous for good deeds, setting us free from our life of self, to set us free into the liberty of those who orient our priorities around the King and around His people and around the establishment of the kingdom, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, knowing that all things will be added to us, as Jesus said. O Lord, make us a liberal people. Make us a generous people. Make us people who are taking a look at what we're doing with our money, taking a look at how we could change things, how we could so alter our lifestyle so as to begin to give to the church regularly and and happily and joyfully and participate in the movement that is transforming the world one life at a time. Oh, Lord, bless us with that joy over you. Bless us with that sense of forgiveness and intimacy with you. Bless us, Lord. Send your spirit and transform us ever to be made into the image of King Jesus. We thank you for your salvation and we trust you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light. Oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love. But the 